0: This sermon was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at infosermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. The Greatness of the Soul Part 1 By John Bunyan The Greatness of the Soul and Unspeakableness Zeer of the Loss Thereof With the Causes of the Losing It First preached at Pinner's Hall and now enlarged and published for good By John Bunyan The Greatness of the Soul and Unspeakableness of the Loss Thereof Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul Mark 8:37 I have chosen at this time to handle these words among you, and that for several reasons, that for several reasons. One, because the soul and the salvation of it are such great, such wonderful, great things. Nothing is a matter of that concern as is, and should be the soul of each one of you. House and land, trades and honors, places and preferments, what are they to salvation? To the salvation of the soul. 2. Because I perceive that this so great a thing, and about which persons should be so much concerned, is neglected to amazement, and that by the most of men. Yea, who is there, of the many thousands that sit daily under the sound of the gospel that are concerned, heartily concerned, about the salvation of their souls? That is, concerned, I say, as the nature of the thing requireth if ever a lamentation was fit to be taken up in this age about for or concerning anything, it is about for, and concerning the horrid neglect that everywhere puts forth itself with reference to salvation. Where is one man in a thousand? Yea, where is there two of ten thousand that do show by their conversation, public and private, that the soul, their own souls, are considered by them, and that they are taking that care for the salvation of them as becomes them, to wit, as the weight of the work, and the nature of salvation requireth? 3. I have therefore pitched upon this text at this time, to see if peradventure the discourse which God shall help me to make upon it, will awaken you, rouse you off your beds of ease, security, and pleasure and fetch you down upon your knees before Him, to beg of Him grace to be concerned about the salvation of your souls. And then, in the last place, I have taken upon me to do this, that I may deliver, if not you, yet myself, and that I may be clear of your blood, and stand quit as to you before God, when you shall, for neglect, Be damned, and wail to consider that you have lost your souls. When I say, saith God, unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou, the prophet or preacher, givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In my handling of these words, I shall first speak to the occasion of them, and then to the words themselves. The occasion of the words was, for that the people that now were auditors to the Lord Jesus, and that followed him, did it without that consideration as become so great a work, that is. The generality of them that followed Him were not for considering first with themselves what it was to profess Christ and what that profession might cost them. And when He had called the people unto Him, the great multitude that went with Him, with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him first sit down and count up the cost, and the charge he is like to be at, if he follows me. For following of me is not like following of some other masters. The wind sits always on my face, and the foaming rage of the sea of this world, and the proud and lofty waves thereof, do continually beat upon the sides of the bark of the ship that myself. My cause and My followers are in. He therefore, that will not run hazards, and that is afraid to venture a drowning, let him not set foot into this vessel. So whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after Me, he cannot be My disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? True to reason, this kind of language tends to cast water upon weak and beginning desires, but to faith it makes the things set before us, and the greatness and the glory of them, more apparently excellent and desirable. Reason will say, Then who will profess Christ that hath such coarse entertainment at the beginning? But faith will say, Then surely the things that are at the end of a Christian's race in this world must needs be unspeakably glorious. Since whoever hath had but the knowledge and due consideration of them have not stuck to run hazards, hazards of every kind, that they might embrace and enjoy them. Yea, saith Faith, it must needs be so, since the Son Himself, that best knew what they were even, for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But I say, there is not in every man this knowledge of things, and so by consequence, not such consideration as can make the cross and self-denial acceptable to them for the sake of Christ, and of the things that are where he now sitteth at the right hand of God. Therefore our Lord Jesus doth even at the beginning Give to his followers this instruction. And lest any of them should take distaste at his saying, he presenteth them with the consideration of three things together namely, the cross, the loss of life, and the soul. And then reasoneth with them from the same Here is the cross, the life, and the soul. 1. The cross, and that you must take up, if you will follow me. 2. The life, and that you may save for a time if you cast me off. 3. And the soul which will everlastingly perish if you come not to me, and abide not with me. Now consider what is best to be done. Will you take up the cross, come after me, and so preserve your souls from perishing? Or will you shun the cross to save your lives, and so run the danger of eternal damnation? Or, as you have it in John, will you love your life till you lose it, or will you hate your life and save it? He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. As who should say, he that loveth a temporal life, he that so loveth it, as to shun the profession of Christ to save it, shall lose it upon a worse account than if he had lost it for Christ and the gospel, But he that will set light by it, for the love that he hath to Christ shall keep it unto life eternal. Christ, having thus discoursed with his followers about their denying of themselves, their taking up their cross and following of him, doth, in the next place, put the question to them. And so leaveth it upon them forever, saying, For what shall it profit a man, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? as who should say, I have bid you take heed that you do not lightly, and without due consideration enter into a profession of me and of my gospel. For he that without due consideration shall begin to profess Christ will also without it forsake him, turn from him, and cast him behind his back. And since I have even at the beginning laid the consideration of the cross before you, it is because you should not be surprised and overtaken by it unawares. And because you should know that to draw back from me after you have laid your hand to my plow, will make you unfit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, since this is so, there is no less lies at stake than salvation, and salvation is worth all the world, yea, worth ten thousand worlds, if there should be so many, and since this is so also, it will be your wisdom to begin to profess the gospel with expectation of the cross and tribulation, for to that are my gospelers in this world appointed. And if you begin thus and hold it, the kingdom and crown shall be yours, for as God counteth it a righteous thing to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, you so to you who are troubled and endure it for we count them happy says james that endure rest with saints that endure rest with saints when the lord jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not god and that obey not the gospel etc and if no less lies at stake than salvation Then is a man's soul and his all at the stake. And if it be so, what will it profit a man if, by forsaking of me, he should get the whole world? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Having thus laid the soul in one balance and the world in the other, and affirmed that the soul outbids the whole world, and is incomparably for value and worth beyond it. In the next place, he descends to a second question, which is that I have chosen at this time for my text, saying, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In these words, we have first a supposition, and such an one as standeth upon a double bottom. The supposition is this, that the soul is capable of being lost or thus, 'tis possible for a man to lose his soul. The double bottom that this supposition is grounded upon is, first, a man's ignorance of the worth of his soul and of the danger that it is in, and the second is, for that men commonly do set a higher price upon present ease and enjoyments than they do upon eternal salvation. The last of these doth naturally follow upon the first, For if men be ignorant of the value and worth of their souls, as by Christ in the verse before is implied, what should hinder but that men should set a higher esteem upon that with which their carnal desires are taken than upon that about which they are not concerned, and of which they know not the worth? But again, as this by the text is clearly supposed, so to hear is also something implied, namely, that it is impossible to possess some men with the worth of their souls until they are utterly and everlastingly lost. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That is, men, when their souls are lost, and shut down under the hatches in the pits and hells in endless perdition and destruction, then destruction. Then they will see the worth of their souls. Then they will consider what they have lost, and truly not till then. This is plain, not only to sense, but by the natural scope of the words, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what would not those that are now for sin, made to see themselves lost by the light of hellfire, for some will never be convinced that they are lost till, with rich dives, they see it in the light of hell flames. I say, what would not such if they had it? give in exchange for their immortal souls, or to recover them again from that place and torment. I shall observe two truths in the words. The first is that the loss of the soul is the highest, the greatest loss, a loss that can never be repaired or made up. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul, that is, to recover or redeem his lost soul to liberty? The second truth is this that how unconcerned and careless soever some now be about the loss or salvation of their souls, yet the day is coming, though the day is coming. But it will then be too late, when men will be willing, had they never so much, to give it all in exchange for their souls. For so the question implies, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would he not give, What would he not part with at that day, the day in which he will see himself damned, if he had it, in exchange for his soul? The first observation, or truth, drawn from the words is cleared by the text. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That is, there is not anything, nor all the things under heaven. Were they all in one man's hand, and all at his disposal, that would go in exchange for the soul. That would be of value to fetch back one lost soul, or that would certainly recover it from the confines of hell. The redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. And what saith the words before the text but the same? For what shall it profit a man, if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? What shall profit a man that has lost his soul? nothing at all, though he hath by that loss gained the whole world. For all the world is not worth a son, not worth a soul in the eye of God and judgment of the law. And it is from this consideration that good Elihu cautioneth Job to take heed. Because there is wrath, saith he, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke, then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. Riches and power, what is there more in the world? For money answereth all things, that is, all but soul concerns. It can neither be a price for souls while here, nor can that, with all the forces of strength, recover one out of hellfire. Doctrine first. So then, the first truth drawn from the Word stands firm, namely that the loss of the soul is the highest, the greatest loss, a loss that can never be repaired or made up. In my discourse upon this subject, I shall observe this method. First, I shall show you what the soul is. Second, I shall show you the greatness of it. Third, I shall show you what it is to lose the soul. Fourth, I shall show you the cause for which men lose their souls, and by this time the greatness of the loss will be manifest. What the soul is. First, I shall show you what the soul is, both as to the various names it goes under, as also by describing of it by its powers and properties, though in all I shall be but brief, for I intend no long discourse. Names of the soul. 1. The soul is often called the heart of man, or that in and by which things to either good or evil have their rise. Thus desires are of the heart or soul. Yea, before desires, the first conception of good or evil is in the soul, the heart. The heart understands, wills, affects, reasons, judges, but these are the faculties of the soul. Wherefore, heart and soul are often taken for one and the same. My son, give me thine heart. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, etc. Two, the soul of man is often called the spirit of a man, because it not only giveth being, but life to all things and actions in and done by him. Hence, soul and spirit are put together as to the same notion. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. When he saith, Yea, with my spirit will I seek thee, he explaineth not only with what kind of desires he desired God, God, but with what principal matter his desires were brought forth. It was with my soul, saith he, to wit, with my spirit within me, So that of Mary, my soul, saith she, doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Not that soul and spirit are in this place to be taken for two superior powers in man. But the same great soul is here put under two names or terms to show that it was the principal part in Mary. To wit her soul, that magnified God, even that part that could spirit and put life into her whole self to do it. Indeed, sometimes spirit is not taken so largely, but is confined to some one power or faculty of the soul, as the spirit of my understanding. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and sometime by spirit we are to understand other things. But many times by spirit we must understand the soul and also by soul the spirit. 3. Therefore, by soul we understand the spiritual, the best, and most noble part of man, as distinct from the body, even that by which we understand, imagine, reason, and discourse. And indeed, as I shall further show you presently, the body is but a poor, empty vessel, without this great thing called the soul. The body without the spirit, or soul, is dead, or nothing but, her soul departed from her, for she died. It is, therefore, the chief and most noble part of man. For The soul is often called the life of man, not a life of the same stamp and nature of the brute. For the life of man, that is, of the rational creature, is that, as he is such, wherein consisteth and abideth the understanding and conscience, etc. Wherefore, then, a man dieth, or the body ceaseth to act, or live in the exercise of the thoughts, which formerly used to be in him, when the soul departeth, as I hinted even now, her soul departed from her, for she died, and, as another good man saith, in that very day his thoughts perish, etc. The first text is more emphatical. Her soul was in departing, for she died. There is the soul of a beast, a bird, etc., but the soul of a man is another thing. It is his understanding and reason and conscience, etc., and this soul, when it departs, he dies. Nor is this life, when gone out of the body, annihilates as is the life of a beast. No. This in itself is immortal, and has yet a place and being when gone out of the body it dwelt in. Yea, as quick, as lively is it in its senses, if not far more abundant, than when it was in the body. But I call it the life, because so long as that remains in the body, the body is not dead. And in this sense it is to be taken where he saith he, that loseth his life for my sake shall find it unto life eternal. And this is the soul that is intended in the text, and not the breath, as in some other places is meant. And this is evident because the man has a being, a sensible being, after he has lost the soul. I mean not by the man man in this world, nor yet in the body or in the grave, but by man we must understand either the soul in hell or body and soul there, after the judgment is over. And for this the text, also, is plain, for therein we are presented with a man sensible of the damage that he has sustained by losing of his soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But five, the whole man goeth under this denomination. Man consisting of body and soul is yet called by that part of himself that is most chief and principal. Let every soul that is, let every man, be subject unto the higher powers. Then sent Joseph, and called his father Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. By both these and several other places, the whole man is meant, and is also so, to be taken in the text. For whereas here he saith, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It is said elsewhere, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? And so consequently, or what shall a man give in exchange for himself for his soul? His soul when he dies, and body and soul in and after judgment. Six, the soul is called the good man's darling. Deliver, Lord, saith David, my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. So again in another place he saith, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the power of the lions. My darling, this sentence must not be applied universally, but only to those in whose eyes their souls, and the redemption thereof is precious. My darling, most men do by their actions say of their soul, My drudge, my slave. Nay, thou slave to the devil and sin! For what sin, what lust, what sensual and beastly lust is there in the world? that son do not cause their souls to bow before and yield unto. But David here, as you see, calls it his darling, or his choice and most excellent thing. For indeed, the soul is a choice thing in itself, and should, were all wise, be every man's darling or chief treasure. And that it might be so with us, therefore, Our Lord Jesus hath thus expressed the worth of the soul, saying, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? But if this is true, one may see already what misery he is like to sustain that has or shall lose his soul. He has lost his heart, his spirit, his best part, his life, his darling, himself, his whole self, and so in every sense his all. And now, what shall a man, what would a man, but what can a man that has lost his soul himself and his all give in exchange for his soul? Yea, what shall the man that has sustained this loss do to recover all again, since this man, or the man put under this question, must needs be a man that is gone from hence, a man that is cast in the judgment, and one that is gone down the throat of hell, but to pass this and to proceed. Powers and properties of the soul. I come next to describe the soul unto you by such things as it is set out by in the Holy Scriptures, and they are in general. Three, first, the powers of the soul. Second, the senses, the spiritual senses of the soul. Third, the passions of the soul, of the powers of the soul. First, we will discourse of the powers. I may call them the members of the soul. For, as the members of the body, being many, do all go to the making up of the body, so these do go to the completing of the soul. 1. There is the understanding which may be termed the head, because in that is placed the eye of the soul. And this is that which, or by which the soul, discerning things that are presented to it, and that either by God or Satan. This is that by which a man conceiveth and apprehendeth things so deep and great that cannot by mouth or tongue or pen be expressed. Two, there is also belonging to the soul. The conscience, in which I may say, is placed the seat of judgment. For, as by the understanding things are let into the soul, so by the conscience, the evil or good of such things are tried, especially when in the three, third place, there is the judgment, which is another part of this noble creature, has passed by the light of the understanding his verdict upon what is let into the soul. Four, there is also the fancy or imagination, another part of this great thing. The suon, and a most curious thing this fancy is, It is that which presenteth to the man the idea, form, or figure of that, or any of those things, wherewith a man is either frighted or taken, pleased or displeased. And 5. The mind, another part of the soul, is that unto which this fancy presenteth its things to be considered of, because without the mind nothing is entertained in the soul. 6 there is the memory, too, another part of the soul. And that may be called the register of the soul, for it is the memory that receiveth and keepeth in remembrance what has passed, or has been done by the man, or attempted to be done unto him. And in this part of the soul, or from it, will be fed the worm that dieth not when men are cast into hell. Also from this memory will flow that peace, at the day of judgment that saints shall have in their service for Christ in the world. 7. There are the affections too, which are, as I may call them, the hands and arms of the soul. For they are they that take hold of, receive, and embrace what is liked by the soul. And it is a hard thing to make the soul of a man cast from it what its affections cleave to, and have embraced. Hence the affections are called for, when the apostle bids men seek the things above. Set your affections upon them, saith he, or, as you have it in another place, lay hold of them. For the affections are as hands to the soul, and they by which it fasteneth upon things. 8. There is the will, which may be called the foot of the soul because by that the soul, yea, the whole man, is carried hither and thither, or else held back and kept from moving. These are the golden things of the soul, though. In carnal men, they are every one of them made use of in the service of sin and Satan. For the unbelieving are throughout impure, as is manifest, because their mind and conscience, two of the masterpieces of the soul, is defiled. For if the most potent parts of the soul are engaged in their service, what think you do the more inferior do? But I say, so it is the more is the pity, nor can any help it. This work ceaseth forever, unless the great God, who is over all, and that can save souls, shall himself take upon him to sanctify the soul, and to recover it, and persuaded to fall in love with another master. But I say, what is man without this soul, or wherein lieth this preeminence over a beast? Nowhere that I know of, for both as to man's body, go to one place. Only the spirit or soul of a man goes upward, to wit, to God that gave it, to God that gave it to be by him disposed of with respect to things to come, as they have been and have done in this life, but of the senses of the soul. Second, I come in the next place to describe the soul by its senses, its spiritual senses, for so I call them. For as the body hath senses pertaining to it, and as it can see, hear, smell, feel, and taste, so can the soul. I call, therefore, these the senses of the soul, in opposition to the senses of the body, and because the soul is the seat of all spiritual sense where supernatural things are known and enjoyed, not that the soul of a natural man is spiritual in the apostle sense, for so none are, but those that are born from above, nor they so always neither, they so always neither.